Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 140 unread books on my shelf. With me is my friend Toby. That's me. And my brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is our sound recordist. Now with his own mic. Dylan has his own microphone, and he's mad with power. This is the end of the podcast as we know it. Guys, I have something to say. Dylan and I went to check out the Los Angeles Festival of Books, which is filled with cheap books. And I didn't buy any books. Wow. I'm applauding in a way that's appropriate for podcasts, which is not applauding. I think it helped that there were so many people browsing and it was hot. And so if if it had been like my own personal festival of books and it had all been empty, I would have gone wild. When is there a situation where you're at your own festival? (laughs) Yeah. I'm just curious. Isn't that like the anti-definition of festival? (laughs) This is just a dream I have. Andrew, do you want to give us the report of the countries where we are podcasting from? Or two. Two. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, do you want to give us the foreign report? The foreign, yes. (laughs) Sure. Um, As you might remember from last episode, we set up a friendly competition trying to guess which countries would download the two readless podcasts next. And... Drum roll, please. Don't actually drum roll because this is a podcast. We had three from our lists get downloaded this week. Hot diggity. Toby's really excited. (laughs) I just feel like they're probably not mine. That's the thing. So we each picked five just to remind the listeners how we did it, including Dylan. That's a total of 20 countries in play. Now... The first country to come through off of one of our lists was a little country called Brazil, which happened to be on my list. So that's one for me. Next coming through was a little country slash continent called Australia, (laughs) which was also on my list. So that's two for two. But we had one more country off the list. A little country in the center of Northern Europe called Germany. And that one was on... Toby's list. So Toby has also <sighs> got himself a win. Das ist heiß. That means that's hot. <laughs> Hashtag Bailey never wins. Yeah. There you go. Except for last week when I got, or last two weeks ago when I got embarrassed. <laughs> I, listening back to that, I was embarrassed with myself for gloating. What? what? No. That was a, a crushing defeat on my part. I would have I would have gloated if I had beat you that hard. <laughs> Bailey, sure. you can't be sad about Ball James winning. It's true. Ball James win. So, Andrew, you've won. So what does that mean? So what that means is right now I have two banked picks, meaning I can override whatever Dylan has randomly selected and make Bailey read a book of my choosing or make Toby read a book of my choosing. So Hmm. y'all better be nice to me or I'll pick a very long book for you that you have to read in a week, Bailey. Mm. Well, I'm excited and nervous, and I just want to tell you guys, like, how much I appreciate you as Mm. being the co-host, and I just feel like you guys should be nice to me. You know what would really salve my feelings from being annihilated in the game last week is choosing something that Bailey would hate to read. Les Mis is such a great (laughs) book. It's so long and (laughs) weighty. Oh, man. Play Miz is going to be a fun one. All right. So that's exciting. Um, uh, do you guys have any shame? I know that I don't. Ha ha ha. Uh, no, I'm shame free. Oh, good for you. 
So when you move in together with somebody, your books combine. And initially I um, made my to read list off of just my books and then added a few of Jillian's in. But I realized that sitting on the shelf was one that I should probably add in because it's the second Best book ever, according to the Great American Read. Ooh. Oh no! It's a little book um, by Diana Gabaldon. I don't know oh. if that's how you pronounce it. Called Outlander. 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 I know this. I know of this book. Yeah, I thought. So, <laughs> <laughs> I initially left it off because I was like, I'm not really interested in reading that. Blah 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 blah. But in the spirit of the to read list, it's sitting on my shelf, and it's one that my eye is always drawn to because of its prominence in in pop culture. And sure. I think there's no reason why I shouldn't be <laughs> forced to read a 850 page exactly in this paperback version. And aren't there like 10 of them or something? Says the guy who talks about thousand page books in 10 series that eventually combine with another 10 (laughs) series. I consider myself dragged. Got it. (laughs) I I mean, I am so curious to hear what you have to say about this because I get the feeling, I could be wrong, but that I'm the, I'm the person of us three that has read the most romance novels. Okay. And is it, is it considered a romance novel then? I would say it's a historical romance. Just for people who aren't, because we're talking about it so much. Yeah. From what I understand, it's like this woman travels back in time Uh to Scotland, Uh and she decides that it's okay to, like, boink a bunch of Scottish dudes because, no? Almost. Okay, because she's time traveling, and her husband isn't born yet? No? Okay, this is what I think it's about, and I don't know. It's, oh, you don't know either. Well, but no, I know how, how I know dare, I know a little more how than dare you. you just I was believed you. Okay. My understanding is it's this lady. She but she's not in current same, times. Same same oh. sames. She's like I want to say in the 1940s. I could be wrong. Oh, come on. It's close enough. She touches a rock. She oh. goes back in time okay. to Scotland, but she doesn't boink a bunch of Scottish people. I think there's one particular Scottish guy. Are you saying that over the course of many 800-page books, she doesn't point more than one Scottish dude? I think it's like a love story. I think she loves this one guy. I don't think that that's what this is about at all. (laughs) What do you think it's about, Andrew? I think it is about someone who has been inside for a long time who goes outside. (laughs) Outlander? Outlander. Yes. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we'll see when it gets drawn for you. I, I think... Here's the thing about romance novels. They're real easy to read. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet I bet it would be fun. That's yeah. that's sort of why I put it on, because it's not a book I would normally yeah. read, but yeah. I feel like I could easily read it in two weeks. And it's like kind of it would be funny to be forced to read this book quickly, I think. So that's I thought it would be a fun addition to the podcast. That's such a great idea. I want to put it to our listeners. I don't read much romance either, and my list, as I've said many times before, is made up primarily of stuff that I just want to read because I have a small apartment. If any of our listeners want to make me read a romance novel, email us. I will put somebody's recommendation, not Outlander because Andrew's doing it, Mm -hmm. but something um, I really, I mean, I'm willing to take it from you guys. If you guys recommend something, I think it'd be fun. Please don't make it 800 pages, but uh, yeah. Little known fact, all romance novels are 850 pages, at least. No. (laughs) I think it would be funny if you guys got really into the romance genre, like you didn't know it, and then you're like, oh, this is great. I'm betting that there's some, like, ones that I would really enjoy. It's just not, yeah. Well, I don't know. I haven't read that many, but the ones I have read, I enjoy. And there's some that are more plot driven or more, you know. Boink driven. Boink driven. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, mm-hmm. I, there has been times when I've read something because I want to have an informed opinion of it. Like I read Fifty Shades of Grey, Great. and I, then I read the rest of them because they You're were completist. Yeah. yeah, and I was working as an assistant, and this secretary was really into them, and she kept bringing them in. She's like, "Bailey, do you want the next one?" And I was like, "Yeah, I do." <laughs> nice. <laughs> but I would hide it in the subway. I was living in New York at the time, and I would hide it behind another book on the subway. Hmm. What's that? Do you have an example of a really good one that you really enjoyed? Mm, no. <laughs> Before we get past this, you hid a full-size copy of a Fifty Shades book behind another book on the New York subway and didn't expect yeah. people to notice? Paperback, paperback. Still, no, 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 Bailey. I feel like you were if, fooling no, no one. <laughs> New York subways, you can see what people are reading. You can't hide a book there. Okay, somebody would have had to be looking over my shoulder and reading the words. You mean someone would have had to have some kind of perspective, whereas you were seated and they were standing, like, in close proximity to you? Well, then they would also be reading the pages, and they would be just as into <laughs> the ballad of Anastasia Steele and That, that is a good comeback, where it's like, are you reading Are you reading Fifty Shades of Grey? No, you're reading Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're reading it. You press it up against their face. Well... No shame in that. No, no shame. No, no, no. No, there's I'm, no I'm shame. Mixed. I was just curious as to how you logistically hit a book within another book on the subway. And the and the answer is that she didn't. Uh. Well, I didn't. I guess I didn't do it very well. It was also a lot of like body positioning, like trying to cover the <laughs> covers with my arms. <laughs> Toby is laughing. At yeah, me. I'm just like mental image of you like huddled in a corner, like sheltering, like a like making a walnut of yourself, <laughs> reading two books at once. I really shouldn't have cared because there's so many things that happen on the subway. There was yeah. one day where I was just openly crying, and people were like, "Cool." Like, like, yeah. Nobody cares. You can do whatever. That's part of why my reaction is so strong, because who cares what anyone's reading on the subway? It would be more noticeable to me that someone was trying to hide what they were reading than someone reading something weird. All right. Well, this week, Toby had a book chosen from his shelf at random. Toby, what book was it? I had uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. Um, yeah. So I really, really, really enjoyed this book a lot. It is um, probably best known as the source material for Blade Runner, uh, both the original and Blade Runner 2049, which just came out a couple years ago. And it's very different. Um, There are some core ideas there that are the same. You know, the whole idea of there are androids uh, called replicants that are basically visually um, and behaviorally identical to humans, except when you kind of drill down deeper into their psyche. So it's very difficult to tell who's a human and who's a replicant. The um, the main character is a D- Detective Deckard. He's actually not an official, I think in the movies he's like officially a cop, um, but in the book he's kind of like a contract um, bounty hunter. Um, so the whole situation that is much more clear in the book than it is in the movies. In the movies, it's just kind of like, Earth is bad. It's in a bad way, and it's too crowded, and things look really crappy. But in the book, it's explicitly said, this is a post-nuclear war world. Okay. Many, many people have emigrated to Mars, mm-hmm. and that's um, why they created replicants, is people needed kind of incentives, kind of similar to back when America was being settled. People, you know, they'd say, come to America, we'll give you 13 miles of land or whatever. Okay. So they'd say, if you move to Mars, it's a hard life, but we'll give you a replicant. This is like your servant, your slave, basically, um, who never gets tired and will do your every bidding and stuff like that. Um, The only problem is, is that they kept making them more and more and more advanced. And as they became more advanced, they became somewhat self-aware. And then 
the replicants start to come back to Earth. They basically escape and smuggle themselves back to Earth, which is very illegal. So if, you, if you're a replicant and you come back to Earth, you're under a death sentence if they can find you. So that is Deckard's job. He's a bounty hunter, and he doesn't get paid unless he kills or, quote-unquote, retires replicants. So the book overall, first of all, I loved it from the very first scene. The book starts off with Deckard and his wife are waking up and they're getting into an argument about using the mood organ. And it's a machine that uses that, that has the ability to control your mood and put you into any mood you want. So they get into an argument and Deckard considers it's this kind of like self-reflexive thing where he thinks like, oh man, I could win this argument if I use the mood organ to put me in the mood where I was angry enough to <laughs> break all the rules and win the argument. And he thinks that and his wife anticipates him thinking that. She says, don't you dare because I'll do it too and I can get angrier than you. And it's this like kind of depressing but really funny scene. So that's just like an example of like the weird kind of sad humor. And that's just one of the many things that isn't really in the movies, but what is really typical of Philip K. Dick books is this like wealth of ideas, mm -hmm. like lots of little toss off ideas like that, that make the book really, really fun to read. Cool. That's one side of the book that I really found unexpected and I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. The other side is that it is heavily philosophical. Okay. It is, the book is basically about empathy. So the main difference between humans and androids is that androids are unable to have any kind of empathy at all. And it's actually their big failing because they don't care about each other. They all have a similar goal, which is to escape the bondage of being in servitude to the humans mm -hmm. and come back to Earth and live together and succeed. But they really don't care about each other. So if one of them gets in trouble, they're just willing to see them die and preserve their own life. Mm -hmm. But the humans are also extremely flawed. So yeah, so the whole androids dream of electric sheep, that's a whole through line, which is also really funny, is that in this world, because empathy has become this kind of main thing that humanity thinks about, they've created this religion called Mercerism, which is all about how empathetic you can possibly be towards other humans. And then one of the other things you can do to show your empathy and kind of like prove how human you are is to have a pet. But Ooh. because it's a post-nuclear uh, apocalypse world, there's no animals anymore, except they're very, very rare and very expensive. So everyone has this kind of ostentatious pet that they show the world that they have. And the cooler and more exotic your animal is, the higher your status is. So Deckard has a sheep, but mm. it's secretly, it's an electric sheep. Ooh. It's like you can, you can order these robot animals, but they're like, you kind of have to fake it and you have to pretend to feed them and you have to pretend that they get sick and it's mm -hmm. all, it's really funny and his neighbor has like a real horse and he's like really jealous of his horse and he like thinks about buying an ostrich he thinks like oh if i kill all these androids i'll be able to afford an ostrich <laughs> so there's this i mean th the first half of the book is that it's like he's like oh i'm so unhappy that all i have is an electric sheep i want this ostrich instead <laughs> um and so the the idea of empathy is played with in lots of really interesting ways there's a big hypocrisy that you know humans want to show each other that they're so empathetic, um, they're buying fake animals to show it, and then they have no empathy whatsoever for these androids, which are, for all intents and purposes, living, thinking beings. Mm -hmm. Like, they have desires, and they feel anger and guilt and all this kind of stuff. They feel everything except for empathy. So that's something that every android character sees, and literally no human character ever even considers. Mm -hmm. Which is a, a small flaw, I'd say, in the book. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea and, and Philip K. Dick is known for two things, which is, you know, these really clever ideas, really prescient ideas, 
and also kind of heavy-handed philosophical wanderings. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed the first half of the book. And I mean, for the first half of the book, I was like, wow, this is going to be one of my favorite books ever. But then it actually, I think he was plagued, and this is just from what I've heard, and I might be wrong. He was kind of plagued uh, at the time by being considered not serious enough of an author. Mm -hmm. You know, sci-fi was not that well-respected a genre. And he had these big ideas, and he was playing with these ideas that are truly interesting, but he would always be kind of like written off. So he has a plot in which there's a lot of action baked in. His, you know, his lead character is a bounty hunter, but the end is kind of, with no spoilers, the end is not as action-packed as it could be. Not that I'm saying I wanted it to be like a thrill a minute, but it almost feels like he pulls the plug on some, some moments that could be really tense and exciting to kind of turn the plot in a much more philosophical direction. Whereas I think he probably could have done both. Like if he wasn't so concerned about seeming so serious and so, you know, taking himself so seriously, he could have had both. He could have had really cool scenes that were exciting and then, you know, wrap things up with these philosophical ideas. So that's my my big criticism. It, it really did bring it down for me in the end. Um, I was going to be a five-star book there for a while. Um, I think it might be to some people's taste more than mine. Um, but overall, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I just have one question. Mm-hmm. You, you're in a desert and you find a turtle on its back. Uh, what do you do? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Thank you for reminding me. So... Um, People who've seen the movies might remember there's this bizarre test uh, that they give the replicants called the Voight-Kampff test, which is meant to measure empathy. And that's straight from the book. Even the name mm -hmm. is straight from the book. They read out these situations that are supposed to be socially mortifying to people they suspect to be androids, mm -hmm. and they measure their involuntary responses. So that's part of the book as well. So because you're saying that it was almost a five star, that makes me think that it's a four star. What would you give this as a rating? And are you going to keep it? Well, I give it four stars. Uh -huh. Yes, um, and I would keep it on my shelf. Yeah, come on. I would keep it on my shelf, but I got it from the library, so it's on the library shelf. Forever. But theoretically, theoretically, yes, I would keep it on my shelf. It's a, it's a good book. I'd be proud to have it in my home. Oh, would you display it like a fancy pet? Uh, no, I would not <laughs> pretend that it was a live book and feed it and make it sick sometimes. No. <laughs> All right. Well, do androids dream of electric sheep? by Philip K. Dick, four stars. Andrew, do you have any Philip K. Dick facts? Oh, I do. Um, so Philip K. Dick was born in Chicago in 1928. He moved pretty quickly to the San Francisco area of California. When he was born, he had a twin sister who died pretty quickly after birth. And uh, the idea of a phantom twin is a motif that recurred throughout his work. Um, he went to high school uh, with fellow science fiction author Ursula K. Le Guin. They were members of the what? same graduating class, but did not know each other at the time. Oh. But Whoa. I feel like that 1947 class can feel pretty strong about their impact on science fiction. It also makes That's me wonder crazy. what was going on in that town. <laughs> also, I'm just imagining like the 10 year reunion and there's always one like really successful person. In this case, there's like Joe Schmo is like, how come, how come there's two in our class? <laughs> <laughs> Ursula, Philip, you never said. You never said. <laughs> well, that that is crazy town. Yeah. 
he started writing. He um he went to college but didn't stay very long. He dropped out without declaring a major. He suffered from a lot of anxiety, and that was a recurring uh, theme of his life. Um, so he dropped out of college, but he began writing pretty quickly after that. It took him quite a while to become successful. In fact, he wasn't really financially super successful until about right before he died, because he died he died before Blade Runner was released. Um, so he was finally getting money in from his uh, work being adapted, and then he died, which is sad. That is sad. Bummer. But Toby brought up a good point earlier. He had a lot. Of, he had a lot of like a complex about being taken seriously. So he actually, in early part of his life, he wrote a lot of novels that were in no way science fiction. They were very like straightforward, normal novels, and only one of them was ever published. And he had no success with that. So in like trying to temper his science fiction urges, which is what got him started, he ended up sort of shooting himself in the foot. Ooh. Interesting. Around 1962, he had his first success um, with the novel The Man in the High Castle, which is a story set in a parallel universe where um, the Germans and the Japanese won World War II. Um, I've read that book. You have? It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Not your favorite? <laughs> well, um, so he wrote it using the I Ching, which is a um, Chinese methodology of predicting the future, sort of. So it's basically a big book full of really enigmatic, enigmatic poems, and you kind of throw the bones... And they will direct you to a certain passage of the book that can be interpreted in many different ways. Throw the bones? You literally have, I think they're tablets, oh. or you throw like some kind of markers okay. that when you read them will direct you to a passage. So the way he plotted that book is he would write, write, write until he came to a plot point, and then he'd throw them, consult the I Ching, and then use, like, literally there are passages from the I Ching in the book that told him which direction to make the plot head. Ooh. So sounds cool, ends up meaning that the book is bizarre and <laughs> has all these weird turns in the plot that like is certainly interesting. But um, if you're looking for a satisfying read, I'd say <laughs> maybe look elsewhere. I enjoyed it, but it is um, a weird book. It didn't live up to the promise of the premise. Exactly. Ooh. So he um, was a very prolific writer. Um, I'm going to take this moment to say he's maybe not the nicest guy ever. Um, he had a lot of volatile relationships with women. He was married five times. He was abusive towards specifically his third wife, who he was married to at the time of his initial mini success, where when Man in High Castle came out, when he was writing um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. He attempted suicide several times. He struggled with addiction to amphetamines. Um, Interestingly, with what he focuses on, I think he definitely had some levels of diagnosed and undiagnosed mental illness. He had recurrent hallucinations. There was a time in his life where he thought he was not possessed, but the spirit of the prophet Elijah like entered his body. And he claims that he wrote sections of a book using quotes from the Bible that he never had read. So there's some he, there's some complicated things going on with him. He was abusive towards uh, his third wife specifically even going so far as attempting to push a car she was in off of a cliff. Apparently, he got out of the car while she was in it and said, get it going and I'll push. And she was on the edge of a cliff. Messy stuff. Um, Whoa. He also attempted suicide with the person he left his wife for by driving off of a cliff. Um, with her in the car? With her in the or car. No? Uh, they both survived. He was in a body cast for a while after that. Uh, so that's just a, a little bit about the background of him. I want to end on more of an upper fact. He actually became an android. What? What? So this is taken from 
David Duffy's book, How to Build an Android. Um, in 2005, a team of roboticists at the University of Memphis began a project to create a lifelike android, and they chose Philip K. Dick as their template. The android, named oh. Phil, was made to resemble Dick physically and to mimic his speech patterns. In 2005, David Hansen, one of the leads on the project, took the head on a plane and lost it. What? It has never been recovered. <laughs> so that that's my research on him. Not a very nice guy. Great writer. Great yeah. ideas, but definitely troubled. All right. Well, thank you for those facts, Andrew. That, that is a cr- one crazy ride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Jose Saramago's are a little less wild. Good. All right. Well, that's a good transition to my book, which is Blindness by Jose Saramago. Or is it? Jose Saramago? Oh, well, I always worry if it's Saramago or Saramago, but it's in no way Jose. Okay, here's well, the thing. Actually, I- sorry, I just said, well, actually, when I'm about to mansplain something, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. I started listening to the Audible just to get a sense of it, and they said, by Jose Saramago. I've never heard that. Okay. Wow. So, Consider me shame. Woman-splained. <laughs> no. This is, uh, this is an incredible book. I don't want to give away much about what it's about, but I will just give you a sense. It's essentially about an epidemic that sweeps a certain city. Um, And in the epidemic, people suddenly go blind. And it's not like you see darkness, you see blinding white light. And it begins at patient zero, this one man who's driving a car, and it expands from there. One of the bigger portions of, or one of the bigger plot points is that they move at that point, there's only about five people that have been turned blind to a quarantine, which is in a mental asylum. And it's sort of like, how do they establish order there when nobody can see except one woman can see. And she is the wife of the doctor. They don't have any, um, they're just called like the doctor, the doctor's wife. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, she can see, but she want, doesn't want to be separated from her husband, so she pretends to be blind in order to get to the quarantine. So that's what it's basically about. I really don't want to go into much more of the plot because I don't want to give anything away. Um, with that said, I love this book. Nice. Toby looks happy that I loved it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this book, yeah. Um, it is so brilliantly structured. I love just the idea of it snowballing, just starting with this one scene where you're on a street and you see this guy driving and he gets to a green light, but then he suddenly can't see and he doesn't move. And where does it go from there? And because it's contagious, every person he interacts with and then the people they interact with, they start to go blind. And so it starts to balloon out. I'm making (laughs) motions with my hands (laughs) like Um, she's washing a window exactly um and what's really fascinating about it is it reminds me a little bit of like the mist by stephen king or (laughs) the walking dead in that what's scary is being blind is scary but what's scarier is humanity and (laughs) or like lord of the flies like what happens when everything falls apart Mm -hmm. and people go against each other and there's no order um and just the horrifying levels of depravity that humankind can sink to particularly male humankind Mm -hmm. in this book um i i just want to say too like i remember my i read this a while ago but mm -hmm. i just have a vivid memory of like it just begins so abruptly like you're, you're and you're in it from like the second sentence because mm-hmm. it just happens and the scene is so electric and like the whole book is like that you're very present in the moment the whole time it feels very exciting that's 
absolutely true. And that's what makes it so scary is that this could happen at any point, kind of like Hitchcock's The Birds. Like, we don't know why the birds start attacking Mm -hmm. or why they stop. There's no reason why. And that's what makes it scary. And what becomes more scary is not the blindness itself, but in humanity, because they can just completely, you go from being a human to being an animal. You're just covered in filth and you're just fighting to drink and to eat and to live. Yeah. Um, the style of writing is incredible and evocative. Instead of breaking apart the dialogue, it's all just one big series where there's no even quotation marks. There's just commas in between each sentence. So when you look at a page of the book, it's just a huge page of text instead of being broken up by the dialogue. And sometimes it's hard to know who is talking and what's Mm -hmm. happening. But in some ways that's evocative about what it'd be like if you couldn't see you could yeah. get the context of who's going to speak or what. Yeah, it's one of those books I found. I remember like it takes you like 20 pages and then it's like you've learned to read again in a different way. Yeah, you yeah. have to get into the rhythm of it. But once you do, you're in it. Yeah. With that said, I think I um, shouldn't have put this book off a little bit. I t- it took a while <laughs> for me to start it. Not Once I started it, I liked it. But it's not one that you necessarily should be binging because it is very dense. Yeah. And the topics are really heavy. Bailey, it's almost as though I got in touch with you earlier this week and kept pestering you about when you were going to start reading it. It's almost as though yesterday I said, I have a secret. I haven't started it yet. <laughs> and and you were like, oh, Bailey, you better start it. And I was like, no, I feel like going for a walk. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Those are pretty much all the points I want to hit. So I just want to hit you up with some quotes. So you get a sense of it. Yeah. One thing I love about it, which is kind of what Toby was saying about that you're just in the moment, of, is how quickly these people just turn blind. So, for example, on page 22, very early on, he held his breath and waited. Nothing happened. It happened a minute later as he was gathering up the books to return them to the bookshelf. First, he perceived that he could no longer see his hands. Then he knew he was blind. So there's a lot of that where it's like, and da 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 da, he was blind. And I love that because you just get lulled into a sense of security and then it just happens. And that's probably how it would happen. Yeah, there's no, it's, it's almost like, I think other authors might have tried to make it scarier or something like make it more foreboding. Like it's going to happen. It's going right. to happen. When's it going to happen? But it's just like, hey, you're blind. Exactly. Which is, even scarier. which is, which makes it so much scarier. So I love this book. A lot of what I loved about it has to do with the ending, but I'm not going to say anything about it, but I think it's really well structured from beginning to end. And I liked how it was, there was no reasoning behind it. So it felt a little bit like a, parable or like a fable or something of like a what if and what can we learn from this example of humanity yeah and from what i remember too it's like the characters they're not like archetypes in the way that they're corny but they do tend to be like this person is good this person is bad Mm -hmm. and like you kind of see how they play off each other but not in i mean the way i said that makes it sound bad but it's very well done no absolutely and they you know they say we don't need names. And that reminds me of that and that everybody fulfills an archetype versus having, this is Toby and this is Andrew. Mm-hmm. Toby is good. Andrew is bad. <laughs> Andrew is fine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this book, I'm going to give a five star. Whoa. Ooh. You know, it'd probably be more like a four and a half, but I'm going to go all the way up to five because I would really recommend it to people. And... I want to give it a five because I have two friends who recommended it to me. My friend Meredith and my friend Dwight who recommended this to me maybe 10 years ago. And I was like, mm. eh, I'll get to it when I get to it. <laughs> and I should have listened to them right away. So yeah. you guys are right. Five star. 
Nice. Would and you keep it on your shelf? I will keep it on my shelf because I want to recommend it to people and I want Dylan to read it. I don't know. I never saw the appeal on it. Dylan? Dylan, why don't you get all your blindness oh. jokes out right now? Mm-hmm. Let's take his mic away. <laughs> I don't think that he needs a microphone anymore. <laughs> so, Andrew, hit us up with some Jose Saramago facts. Boom, boom. Facts, facts. Jose Saramago was born in 1922. Um, when he was quite young, they moved from the small town they were born. He was born in uh, to Lisbon, the big city. Uh, his father was a police officer. Apparently, Saramago is the Portuguese word for a wild radish. And apparently it was more of a nickname of their family. And they mistakenly oh. included it in his birth certificate as his real name. So it is his legal name, but it like <laughs> wasn't his parents' legal name. That is so, crazy. So many weird things in there. First of all, whose who's nickname is Wild Radish? Well, You'll you have know, to ask the people radish. of Portugal in the early 1920s. I just yeah. love imagining like the nurse that's writing the birth certificate that's like, oh yeah, I know your last name. It's Wild Radish. <laughs> What's up, Wild Radishes? You want your son to be called this, right? All right, bye. <laughs> I imagine it's a cultural thing where, where like family nicknames are more common, but it was mm-hmm. not intentionally supposed to be part of his name, apparently. His whole life, he was a pretty avowed communist, even going as far as maybe being an anarcho-communist. And he actually had quite a bit of friction with the ruling party of Portugal that came into power, which was more uh, traditionally Catholic and uh, religious in that way. That's that's interesting. There's some religious themes in the book that that makes sense about. Yeah. With yeah, yeah. he was he was also an atheist. So this was a common theme throughout his life. Um, It came to a head with the publication of the book The Gospel According to Jesus Christ, which ruffled the feathers of the ruling party. They refused to let it be considered for prizes. They censored it. They banned it in some places. And because of that, that led uh, Saramago to leave Portugal for the rest of his life and move to the Canary Islands in Spain. In 1998, he won the Nobel Prize. Heard of it? Pew, pew, pew. The prize motivation um, was uh, Jose Saramago, who with parables sustained by imagination, compassion, and irony, continually enables us once again to apprehend an illusory reality. Blindness was published in 95, so this was three years after that. Um, it was among three works that were called out in the award. One of the other ones was The, jo- the Gospel According to Jesus Christ. Uh, Saramago died on June 18th, 2010, um, and he was cremated, and his ashes were buried underneath a 100-year-old olive tree on the square in front of the uh, Saramago Foundation in Lisbon. Well, Andrew, those are very excellent facts. Thank you. Good job. I want to make sure that everyone feels appreciated so they don't, you know, punish me later. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I would definitely recommend this to our listeners. Um, As my friend said years ago, this book is very good and you should read it right away. And so then, listeners, you can read it in 10 years like me. <laughs> um, so, all right. So, Andrew, well, hit us up with the Jose Serma game. All right. So, this week's game is called Blind Philip. Black Philip. Black Philip. <laughs> Blind Philip. Black Philip. Black Philip. <laughs> that was such a great way to shut it down. <laughs> um, all right. Blind so, Philip. barely, I am able to deduct points for insolence. This game is called Blind Philip. I'm curious to see how this game will go, but let's see. So, the way this game works is I've taken a selection of Philip K. Dick short story titles. Each of these titles has a word in it that has an I in it, the letter I. And I have removed it from the title. You will be tasked with guessing what that word, the missing word, is. Okay. Um, And the buzz method is saying Blind Philip. 
Blind Philip. Blind Philip. Blind Philip. Blind Philip. Okay. All right. So we're going to play to three. If someone gets it incorrect, it is available to steal. Are we ready? Yes. Yes. All right. The short, happy blank of the brown Oxford. Buzz. Uh, blind Philip. Blind Philip. The short, or just life. Okay, Toby. <laughs> life. Life. All right, Toby, that is correct. The title is The Short, Happy Life of the Brown Oxford. That's one yes. point to Toby. Good job, Toby. One point for you. Next Thank clue. You. The War Blank the Fnools. Blind Philip. Yes, Toby. Uh, with. That is correct. The War with the Fnools. Yeah. I don't like this game. I, I, saw, I saw you open your mouth. You almost buzzed in before me. Well, Were I was going to say? say of. And then I was like, there's not an eye in that. Ha ha ha! Now that one, I'd, I mean, I'd never heard of that story. That was an even chance. Gotcha. Are you ready for the next clue? Reminder, Toby could win right now. <laughs> Reminder. That has, that, has an, that has an eye in it, too. <laughs> I could win. Also, Me, Bailey could I. win. Okay. All right. The blank black box. Blind, uh, the thing. Black Philip, blind Philip. <laughs> yes, okay. Big. Big. That's what no. I was going to say. Huh? Oh, can you repeat the blanked out title again, please? The blank black box. Uh, Would you like to try to steal, Toby? Yeah, blind Philip steal um, big. I just said big. Oh, no, big. Oh, I, uh, sorry. Uh, thin. Nope, it's little. You were right about it being size related. Uh, no points awarded. All right, are you ready for another? Yes. Yes. The blank of the elves. Uh, blind Philip. Yes, Bailey. Spirit. No. Mm. Would you like to steal, blind, Toby? Blind Philip Steele. <laughs> you don't have the... to say Blind Philip Steele. It's obviously <laughs> stealing. Uh, life? Incorrect. No points awarded. <laughs> what is it? What is it? <laughs> it? Oh, you want to know the answer? You don't want me to yes, just say incorrect? Yeah. <laughs> the, king, <laughs> the king of the elves. The, the king. king. Okay. 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 I think Bailey and I, we had the similar, I mean, there's a similar yeah. enough guess. Yeah. All right. Let's see if you get this one. We can remember blank for you wholesale. Uh, blind Philip. Toby. Mm. It. That's correct. It's it. Yeah. Also known as the story that inspired Total Recall. Exactly. We yeah. can remember it for you wholesale. wholesale. Bailey, are you ashamed yes, yes, that you yes, lost yes, yes. three to nothing? Here's the thing. I'm not. I'm really happy for Toby. Okay. Oh, sure. I was not happy for you last week, so <laughs> you can take that. I'm fine with it. It has an I in it. <laughs> May I do one last bonus one? Yes, let's do it. This one is for two points, so Bailey would still lose, but could get very close. <laughs> okay. Human blank. Uh, blind Bailey, blind Philip. Bailey. I think I said, I said blind Philip. Kind, <laughs> kind. Nope. Toby. Hmm. Can you repeat it again? <laughs> human blank. Human. You buzzed in. What were you going to say? Uh, uh, human life. Life? Human oh. is... That's all. Human it's just human is? is. Okay, well, no one would get that one. <laughs> nope, that's why I didn't use it in the actual game, but I was curious what you'd guess. Nice. Good game, right. except not a good game, but I lost, but no good Fantastic game. Fantastic game. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Sorry, I th- felt like that one was a little hard, but I just noticed no. that he had so many stories that didn't have that only had one word to the letter I in, and I couldn't help no, myself. No, it, it was helpful once you said that that I could get it. I just thought because Toby has read his stories before and he's more familiar that there was no way I was going to win. But then, well, I mean, I didn't win. I, I just won. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I deserved it. I think listeners should just realize that, like they shouldn't feel mad at me for gloating because Toby's gloating now too. But I'm we do. gloating all over the place. This room is full of gloat. <laughs> All right, well. 
Joyce it's Carol that time Gloats. of the podcast. Joyce, Ro- Joyce, Joyce Carol, Carol Gloats. Gloats. <laughs> uh, it's that time of the podcast where Dylan chooses one of our books at random from our shelf. The, the choosing. Now spiced up with a little extra. Uh, a little extra that danger. Yeah. A little extra fear. Exactly. Danger. Exactly. Andrew and I could, could interrupt this process at any point. Before we go into that, can I just ask, Toby and Bailey, anything you're looking for in your next book? I am afraid to say because I feel like you're going to hit me with whatever I say I don't want. <laughs> no, I'm um, just curious. I, you yeah. just read something. If you want something different, do you want something that's like the same? What's up? I will say that I have had my eye on uh, The Right Stuff uh, by Tom Wolfe. It's calling out to me. I don't know why. It's just like sometimes something's been on your list for a long time. And I'm like, man, I really want to read that. So, yeah. Uh, so, Toby, you're saying you want to read some nonfiction about the 20th century? Yes. Then that's what you're going to get. You have number 51, The Radium Girls, The Dark Story of America's Shining Woman by Kate Moore. Ah, I'm very excited for this one. Heck yeah. Ooh, nice. When it rains, it <laughs> pours with nonfiction. Yeah, I'm into it. Okay. Thank you, random number generator. Andrew, are you playing your steel on Toby? No. I would make oh. it known if I huh? were playing my steel. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. I just want to say what I want. Yeah. What do you want, Bailey? Um, I really want The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule. <laughs> Wow. Okay. The spirit of I mean, this question book. isn't meant yeah. to be. Isn't meant to be. I, that's what I want. want. It's that's like what, what kind I of want. thing you're looking for. Well, but. congratulations, Billy, because you got that one. No. No. Oh. Oh, I was like, <laughs> what? Uh, you got number one thirty-one. Hold Wicked. up. Wicked? Huh? I want to read Wicked. The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West, The Wicked Years, number one by Gregory McGuire. I Maguire. yelled, hold up. No. Oh wait, before I'm Andrew. So sad. Okay, go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. <sighs> Okay. Um, I, re- I just wanted to say, Bailey, uh, I think we're going to have a really good discussion about the Radium Girls, and I'm excited to hear what you get. <laughs> <laughs> so I can read Wicked? How dare you. I am very happy. I have read this book. Okay. If you are expecting it to be like the musical, you had better change your expectations. Or maybe it will be defying expectations. Um, Yeah. It's different. It's real different. Would you say it's not popular? No. Um, I think you'll be shocked at how different it is. Well, I'm I'm excited. Yeah. I'm very interested to see what you think of it. All right. Well, Andrew, thank you for not using the steel because I'm excited for this (laughs) and I think listeners will be too. Yeah. Yep. Just know I have two steels banked and I can use it anytime. I was sure you were going to hit me with 100 Years of Solitude. I was sure. Maybe that was a long con to make you think that I would. (laughs) Mm. All right. So in two weeks, we have Wicked by Gregory Maguire and Friday Night Lights by H.G. Bissinger. And then The Radium Girls. Mm -hmm. That'll be. That'll be two weeks later. Yeah. Exciting. Well, thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the To Read List podcast and on Twitter at To Read List pod. If you enjoy the podcast, please do go uh, on iTunes and rate us five stars. And if you love us even more, write us a review and tell us uh, how much you like it. It really helps out the podcast. And also, if you like the podcast, please tell one of your book-loving friends about us. Word of mouth is the greatest advertising there is, and pretty much the only advertising we have, so please (laughs) tell a friend. (laughs) 
Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for putting Outlander on her shelf and for composing <laughs> the intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books. books.